This is the Responsible Sports Podcast, presented by Liberty Mutual Insurance. In this episode, we welcome Mitch Hall. Responsible Sports is a program dedicated to supporting youth sport coaches and parents who help our children succeed both on and off the field. Each episode, our host Jim Thompson, CEO of Positive Coaching Alliance, will be joined by professional coaches, Olympians, world-class athletes, general managers, and leading youth sports experts who share their insights from their own sports careers. In this episode, Tina Sire, Chief Impact Officer of Positive Coaching Alliance, steps in for Jim and talks with USA Wrestling National Team Director, Mitch Hull. When my son wrestled in high school, not once was he to, did he look at me in the stands because you know, we got clear that I'm not his coach. I'll help him in that, but when it comes time, he had a coach, and that's the guy he's going to listen to. Mitch talks about the role of a coach in a young athlete's life, along with how parents can be supportive. He also shares his thoughts on the future of wrestling. Mitch, I want to start off by introducing you to our responsible sports audience. Mitch Hull attended Evansville High School in Wisconsin and earned 10 letters in football, wrestling, and track. He was a state champion in wrestling and was also Wisconsin's first junior national champion, winning national titles in both freestyle and Greco. Mitch went on to play football at Kansas State and then transferred to University of Wisconsin, where he wrestled for three years for the Badgers. In his junior and senior seasons, he was the Big Ten champion at 190 pounds and was named an All-American. After graduating, Mitch won two national freestyle titles and made history by being only one of two U.S. wrestlers in the past 40 years to compete in the world championships in both freestyle and Greco. From 1980 to 1988, Mitch served as an assistant wrestling coach at Wisconsin and Purdue, and in 1988, he took over as head coach of the Boilermakers. Since 1992, Mitch has served as the national teams director for USA Wrestling. In this role, he oversees the preparation and organization of the USA Olympic team. In 2009, Mitch was honored with a Lifetime Service Award from the National Wrestling Hall of Fame. Mitch lives in Colorado Springs with his wife, Peggy. Mitch, thanks so much for joining the Responsible Sports audience and me today. Well, thank you. I appreciate having the time here because I'm very familiar with this program and how absolutely important it is for our society, so I'm, I'm actually honored that I'd be interviewed with this. Oh, Mitch, the honor, the, the honor is ours. Um, I, I want to start off by asking you a little bit about growing up in Wisconsin and playing so many different sports, and I know you were a, a standout in wrestling, but can you tell us about your different sports experience and, and eventually how it was you ended up your freshman year in college actually picking football? Yeah, well, well I think one of the great benefits of being in a small town is sometimes you have to do this multiple sports, not by choice, but by need, because <laughs> it doesn't really matter if you're very good or not. You're a body that can help help your community and help your school. And, mm-hmm. and it, so it really, I, I think I was blessed to be in that situation where you could participate in three sports. And, and even today, our, our national coaches who are in charge of getting Olympic medals would te- will tell somebody when we get asked, Hey, should I just concentrate on wrestling in high school, or should you know do uh, multiple sports? And we say is uh, we would prefer that you would do multiple sports 
Mm-hmm. Um, unless it, you're just absolutely driven that this is what you want to do, because I think you can do better for the, the school and, and society and um, actually improve your abilities in the sport by by getting, you know, by running track, I became faster. I became more efficient at it. You know, by playing football, there's an intensity about football that I could bring to wrestling, and mm-hmm. and what I could, in the skills that I got in wrestling, I could bring to football. So it was, it was truly, you know, a, you know, a, a fun time to be able to to be able to participate in all of those. I mean, I wasn't really that good in 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 a lot of the other sports, but I was good enough in a small town, and. You know, I decided uh, when I came out of high school, I decided I wanted to play football because, you know, I was a six foot, two inch, 132 pounder when I was a freshman. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I, well, my son was six, seven or six, five at the time and wrestled 170. And so I knew what I kind of looked like. And it's not good. I know <laughs> <laughs> but but, um, you know, and then I, I became by the time I was a senior, I was, you know, six, three, 185 wrestling at 185 and. And I didn't see that I would be able to stay at 190 pounds for college for for wrestling, mm-hmm. and I, would, I didn't want to really wrestle heavyweight. And so, you know, I went to play college football, and, and as much as I did enjoy it, uh, my heart still came back to wrestling. And if I was mm-hmm. going to wrestle, it was going to be no other place than back at the University of Wisconsin and and uh, wrestle for uh, Russ Hellickson with, uh, and Dwayne Clavin. But Russ was the assistant coach, Olympic silver medalist. And, and I tell people outside my parents had, you know, uh, more effect than anybody else on who I am today. And, mm. and, you know, and that was in, and so that's why I went back to wrestling and, and uh, I've, I've enjoy, I enjoyed making that decision to play football. I don't regret it, but I don't regret either at all the, you know, coming back to, to a sport that, um, as I, I still remember an article that was written at the time that I was interviewed, and I, I said, don't tell Coach Clevin this, but, you know, I would do this for nothing. I said, I appreciate the scholarship, but um, that's not what drives you. And, and if you have that level of passion for something, and it doesn't matter what it is, and, and, uh, um, and I tell kids that, you know, if you want to be really good, hang around people that are really good. And it doesn't have to be. And I said, and don't just choose wrestling. If 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 they're tremendously good in music, if they're you know if they're a great basketball player, I'm going to tell you they're doing things right, and that's who you want to spend time with. Mm-hmm. That's a great life lesson. Um, can you tell our responsible sports audience a little bit more about how you made that decision to transfer from Kansas State to Wisconsin? Because I'm sure it wasn't, you know, sort of an easy decision. And was that something where your your parents helped you think that decision through? Or how did that all come to pass? You know, it's, yeah, I guess you're, it's very insightful to say it wasn't an easy decision. And that even as much as I wanted to wrestle, um, it was one of the, probably at that point, being a 20-year-old, that was the toughest decision I'd faced in my life to that point. Mm-hmm. It was tougher than making the decision to go to Kansas State you know, in the recruiting process where everybody's – the one thing you learn is when you're being recruited, everybody's nice. Um, you, were, you were having to tell somebody else that, that you, you really liked and liked the people involved um, yeah. that you were going to go someplace else. And that, as an 18-year-old, is not an easy thing to do. But right. having built the friendships and, you know, the re- kind of the responsibility that you owed to your team mm-hmm. to not walk away, yep. um, you, you know, that was 
so difficult to do. And, you know, going and telling the college coach. Mm, can't imagine, um, yeah. Was, was a very hard thing. And, and, it's, and it's interesting to say that uh, um, years, lots of years later, I got to see him when he was coaching at the Ravens. And, mm. and he is now living in the same community that I am here in Colorado Springs. Mm. So, um, it, you know, if you do it respectfully and correctly, it may hurt at the time, but um, it was the right thing to do. I, I came back and, and uh, my heart was, I, I saw that I could keep, I was not growing like I thought, so mm-hmm. I would be able to stay mm-hmm. at that weight. And, and uh, you know, I would, you know, I, I played at Kansas State. They were in the, you know, in the big, uh, big eight at the time, big 12, but um, we weren't very good. And I probably, and, and, and I wasn't really that great a football player. I was mm-hmm. marginal and, and, you know, wrestling just drove me back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I guess one thing I want to highlight there is that obviously that's a tough conversation to have with a coach, you know, when it's time to maybe move on or specialize in a different sport. Um, but it sounds like one that although it was hard to have, you were able to have it in a way that you were respectful and, and straightforward and that the coach really um, appreciated that you had that conversation and didn't have your parents step in and have it for you or, or shy away from having a direct conversation. Yeah, and what's, what we kind of need to recognize, too, is that as you were rattling off those uh, things that you were saying about me, the one thing that came forward to me was, you know, I'm pretty old. <laughs> it's funny. And when you're talking about the 70s to the early 80s and you compare it today, it's a different sports world. And we talk about it all the time. I, 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 I talk, my high school coach, the assistant coach is still the coach there today at the high school. And, and it's a different world. I mean, if mm. I know this and you talk to people of my generation, if I had a problem with my, my high school coach, mm-hmm. I didn't tell mom and dad mm. because I knew dad was going to line up with the coach. And yep. that's what society was at that time. And today... Um, and that's not always good, by the way. Sure. However, today we flip that over and to the point where that's not always good either, that mom and dad uh, are, are, are too involved with mm-hmm. this, that they're not allowing coaches to make the important the decisions that your son or daughter should be dealing with directly is growing. And, I, and it's hard. I get it. I just had my kids come through. Um, and there were times where I'd like to step in, mm-hmm. uh, but I also uh, one of the things I've I've learned from being a college coach and seeing with high school is that the the worst thing for a uh, for a high school kid, and if you just take my sport, but it's not just mine; it's others too. Is that is that when they're on the playing field, their heads turning in two directions, right. one to the stand, one to the coach, and back and forth. That's tearing at at the at the kid's heart. And I, when my son wrestled in high school, mm-hmm. not once was he to, did he look at me in the stands because, you know, we got clear that I'm not his coach. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll help him in that. But when it comes time, he had a coach, and that's the guy he's going to listen to. He, and I've I've had the benefit, the true benefit of being a college coach. And then being able to go and sit in high school stands recruiting to see a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's helped me tremendously as a coach to, to, um, to understand a lot more things. Uh, and I, believe me, I wasn't perfect as a parent mm-hmm. when it comes to sitting in the stands. Uh, but I, tr- I tried to understand, having been a coach, 
you know, what the respect that they need, you know, now there, there is a time for a parent to talk to a coach. You know, there, there are always times for that, but um, it, it can't be about playing time. That's the, the, uh, that's the athlete. And, and I'll give you an example of this is that, you know, when my, my daughter was playing college softball at, hmm. at, at, in the ACC and, mm-hmm. and um, by her junior year, she wasn't getting quite the playing time that she thought she deserved. And I said, well, and, and she had also been voted unanimously all three years as the most dedicated player. And so I said, I said, I got with my daughter and I said, okay, Christine, there's a, here's the ground rules. Cause you need to talk to the coach cause he deserves to understand this, but here's where we're starting. I said, do you think your coach um, knows what it takes to win? And mm. she said, yes. And then do you think what he's doing is for the purpose in your mind of winning in the, with the program. Oh, yep. I said, okay, then, then mm-hmm. you're going to go in and talk with him and, ex- and explain your situation. Mm-hmm. But when you're done, we're going to respect what he has to say, mm-hmm. whether you agree or not, because you recognize he knows what it takes and he's, he's, he's doing that to help the team win. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you may not agree, but you're going to accept it. And you're going to recognize that the rest of the team's going to look at you to see how you react. Mm-hmm. And 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 that to me has come from the benefit of being in the shoes of that coach. Yeah, Mitch. There's one thing you said I wanted to follow up on, where you said there there are certain times where parents do need to talk to the coach, um, and I think the vast majority of the time that's not the case. And we you know we want to encourage the athletes to have those conversations, just like you did for Christina with her college coach. But what are those those rare exceptions where you feel like it is up to a parent to to directly go and talk to a coach? I think there are certain issues. One, clearly, if there's a safety issue, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They, because that has to take priority. Yeah. Now, there's also a time. I said there's a time, but there's also a place too. Right. And it's not in front of uh, your son or daughter. It's yeah. not in front of the others. It's to, as you make a respectful request to have some time, and you let them know what it's about in advance. Right. Uh, so that they can be prepared for it. Yeah. And uh, there's also. Um, you know, at the at the beginning or the end of the year, mm. you know, when one you if you don't know what the ground rules are, uh, and that's really the responsibility of the coach to to let everybody know what they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, or if uh, you know at the end of the year, if there's concerns, but you do it in a constructive manner. I've, I've always tried to do that, and that recognizing that that um, uh, it. You know, you want to make sure that they have what's, uh, I guess what I'm looking for is you want to make sure that they care about the person that they're affecting. Because mm-hmm. there is, our, when we talk to coaches, you know, uh, and this is why I think what you're doing is so hugely important, is that I believe with all my heart there is no other group in our society today that can change society greater than coaches can. In sports, we, we will touch more lives, and we can change society for the better faster than any group. But they have to recognize is that they will, coaches will make, you know, you're going to make a difference in that person's life. Now, it's up to you whether it's going to be positive or negative. Right. Because it can be one of the worst experiences as well. And so we have to look at that with such 
care and honor because we do change society. And, and I've said, and, and, I, and I, I say, if I go back, if I had my choice over, and I coached at the NCAA at, the, at Division One, the highest level with, with wrestling, and yet if I had to do it over, I'm, I, I could really see myself as a high school coach because you shape lives at that level mm-hmm. much more than I do at the college level. Yeah. And, and, and that what brought this forward was uh, um, a few years ago, I was at the, the National Wrestling Hall of Fame induction, where, where, where of course, you're inducting the, the, the greatest wrestlers at that time. And there were Olympic champions in that that were put in. And what was unbelievably struck me right between the eyes was every one of them, when they got up, and they had the ability to be taught by the greatest coaches in our country at this elite senior level. Mm-hmm. And yet every one of them, first and foremost, thanked their high school coach. Yep. And that's when you realize where you make the difference in our society. Yep, yep. I mean, I agree with you on all of this 100%. And I think it's one of those things where when people do first sign up to coach, whether it's a volunteer of one of their kids' teams or almost as a volunteer, we know how much high school coaches get paid. It's almost a volunteer job um, that, that they have such an incredible responsibility, but I'm not sure that when they sort of sign up or get wrangled into it, that they, that they view it that way. Um, so this is just really, really powerful words. Um, I want to pull you back to thinking, um, about, uh, wrestling, I guess, back at when you first were going into the international level post-college and you were competing in both freestyle and Greco and, you know, how unique that was. And if you could tell our audience a little bit about that experience of, of wrestling, both disciplines. And if you ever felt pressure from anyone to specialize, and and why you decided not to specialize? Well, it's interesting because in the end, I it really did decide to specialize um, at, at a point. Because what's going to happen is that, uh, it, which is the reason why I, uh, you know, I considered when I came back to Wisconsin to play football as well. Yeah. But at some point, it depends upon what your goals are. If it was about participating, then I would have done both. But mm-hmm. you can end up being a jack of all trades and a master of none. Right. Uh, and at some point, when you get to the highest, when you're trying to be at the highest level, you have to be a master of one because right. that's what you're competing against. And and I, the reality is is that you know being on in both Greco and Freestyle World Championships, uh, you, you know. It, it sounds good that I, there's only two in the last four years. I fell into it. I was, you know, they, they had, uh, I, I, I made the, uh, I actually won the junior uh, national championships in Greco, lost in the wrestle-off for the team. So then I did the, or excuse me, in freestyle I won it, lost for the wrestle-off for the team, made it in Greco, wrestled Greco at the junior world championships. And then, uh, um, which were held in Las Vegas in 1977, and all I could think of is, I wonder what those Soviet Union 20-year-old kids are thinking landed in Las Vegas. I bet. You know, it was a, it was a world apart from what they've dealt with. But, you know, and after that was done, I got called uh, by the, the senior-level coaches and that there was an opening for the Greco team. Uh, there are a couple guys trying out, but the number one guys decided to sit out the year. So I went, you know, and I made the team, but that's a little bit more by default to me than earning it. But I had the uh, great opportunity to represent the United States in Greco. Mm-hmm. And reality was this, is that um, going into 1980, uh, 
we had I I used to work out with you know, at Wisconsin. I had the we had the Olympic champion, the Olympic silver medalist at two different weights, actually at three different weights, uh, one below me and one above, and the one at my weight. And Ben Peterson, yeah, it was the toughest room in the world. I remember I was the youngest. I, I actually remember when I transferred back to Wisconsin, I didn't get a takedown for a month. And the guys, <laughs> and they would tell me afterwards, a couple of the other guys on the team at Wisconsin were wondering, did they really give this guy a scholarship? But it was, again, I was wrestling the, you know, you know, three Olympic medalists, and uh, and I and I knew I couldn't make the freestyle team, mm-hmm. so that's why I concentrated on the Greco. Okay. And then after 1980 to 84, I made the commitment to to go completely freestyle, um, because I was in a better atmosphere and situation, mm-hmm. uh, and I had guys that I had to beat, uh, that I looked at. Okay, I'm wrestling, I'm training freestyle wrestling Greco, and they're comp- They're training a full time Greco. And wrestling, I wasn't about to kid myself that I could, you know, stay with them if they're going to specialize at that point. And and so at some point, that uh, you're going to be drawn to specializing because uh, if your goal is to be the best at something, right, right. Can can you talk just for a moment about the tradition at Wisconsin for wrestling and just like what an incredible group of athletes to be surrounded by and. What was it that attracted them and then, you know, sustained that level within that program? Well, it's interesting that you mentioned because at the time, literally half of the United States freestyle team was in that room. Oh, my uh, gosh. And it actually could have had six out of ten. But it was, what it really was, was it was an anomaly. Because once in a while things happen that... Uh, the, these guys, most, they either wrestled at the university, and we had the greatest uh, at that point, and though some people will even say today, the greatest wrestler in the history of our country, uh, Lee Kemp, hmm. uh, was from Chardon, Ohio, but he was a, we, you know, we recruited him and got him at Wisconsin at the time. And, but the other guys were all from the area, hmm. and it was just kind of an anomaly at the time. Is that, uh, uh, you know, we had probably within a two-hour drive of Madison, half of the, uh, you know, we're an Olympic team, and they grew up from that area. You know, things happen once in a while, and that was an anomaly. And, and it, and, uh, but what it was was I was lucky to be on the younger end of it. Mm-hmm. So when I came in, uh, this, we have to be taught how hard we can push yeah. and what we can do and what we can take and, and what it does take, by the way, not only how hard we can push, but what does it take? Mm-hmm. And I had the benefit of coming in and seeing these guys and how they trained. Yep. And it was something that helped show, okay, what does it take to be great? Mm-hmm. Uh, because a lot of us, I, I say, I have such um, respect for the people that become the first champion for their school or the first kid that makes it to the state championship because they had they had no role model to do it, and even though they wanted to work hard, you still, you know, there's nobody that knows how hard they can work when they're younger. You learn how hard that you can push yourself. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. I'm saying that in such a positive way. In that, um, and as coaches, this is the difficult part. And as parents, it's even more difficult 
because where is the line where you're trying to help your child be good and push them beyond it? I, there is, in the way I tried to do it, and again, I, uh, there's nothing perfect here, but I learned from other people. And the way I did it with my son is that, in fact, if, you know, when people have asked me what, uh, you know, what's your greatest experiences in wrestling, hmm. I tell them, I, I'm going to give you two, I go, and neither of them have anything to do with me. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's, uh, it's helping that, uh, I said, that one is helping this young kid that, that uh, started a wrestling club, you know, when I came to Colorado Springs and, and went from coaching elite college guys to, to middle schoolers. <laughs> and and uh, there was a, a freshman high school kid who came up to second practice, I tell, and, and uh, uh, he, I guarantee you he doesn't remember this, but it, I'll never forget it. When he came up, he says, Coach, can you help me win one match this year? Mm-hmm. And he won two. And then the next year he got a letter and I, I could see, you know, you could see how he carried himself differently. Oh, wow. And what I, and I used to then come in and help some of those kids at like six in the morning oh at time to do some drilling and that technique, all with the, the blessing of the coach. Sure. In fact, the coach asked these guys to ask me. And um, I, I said, I, I tell this within this story is that I tell that, um, you know, he came and he asked, you know, he asked me if I'd come in in the morning. And I, I say, I, I'm embarrassed to to say part of this and that, it, you know, I, I was thinking, um, why would I do this? And that he's never going to be that good. Mm-hmm. And, but I'm also very thankful I never acted on it. And so by the time he was a senior, he was the best technician. Hmm. He never won half his matches. You know, but I saw what the difference it the difference it made in him as a person. Right. Now the rest of the story is this: it was about five years ago. I asked the uh, high school coach where this young man was because I hadn't seen him in a long time, and he said, "Stephen is in covert undercover operations in Iraq." Oh my gosh! And he would not be there without wrestling, and so I. That's why I tell coaches, please. Don't do the, the, the thing that I did and don't ever judge what you're doing based on somebody's ability. Right, right. Wow, yeah, the impact you're having goes so far beyond the mat and the scoreboard and the wins and losses. That's a, that's a tremendously powerful story. And the other part of that, too, is, is, is that the, here's the difficult part as a parent in that um, because you want to help your kid. And my son was... Um, if there's a definition of pathetic wrestling, <laughs> you know, he would tell you is that because it, it's kind of now a uh, two years ago I had to go talk to the wrestling team because they thought this is made up. It's it's now the legend of Kalen Hall at the high school. But <laughs> when he was a freshman, he was 0-16, and he was pinned in the first period of every match. When he was a senior, he was 40-1 and and won the state tournament. Wow, and what it was about was he it was you know, he wanted to quit, but in the article he said he just he, he he couldn't tell his dad and his coach he just couldn't do it and by the time he was middle of his sophomore year, he decided he was having a little success and he he was starting to like this mm-hmm. and so at that point, we just sat down and I said, "Okay, Kalen, what's your goal?" Mm-hmm. and he said, "I, I want to be a state champion mm-hmm. said, then okay." Then 
everything we do between that today and that goal is nothing more than part of the journey. So it's not about winning and losing. And, and that's what helped me, too, as a parent. Okay, this isn't about winning and losing. And the other is, it, is that what are we going to do to get there? Mm-hmm. And now, instead of me forcing him, hey, you got to go lift weights. No. you got to right. do this. Right. This was part of the contract, the deal that he had to get to where he wanted to be. It, right. it, so it wasn't, my, it wasn't dad saying, you got to do this and pushing and making it. It was, the, it was, in a way, it was the contract. Yeah, and he owned it. He was empowered. He was the owner. He he'd set the goal. Yeah, and that's and uh, and the the and the the reason I did this, and I tell is it uh, because listen, I I helped coach him, but um, it's I can push him. I can be tough on him and practice and, and be mean and all that, and I can come home and I can I can I can separate coach and dad. Mm-hmm. But he can't. Mm-hmm. And so you have to recognize that that you know when you chew him out and you do this stuff in the wrestling room, and then you come home and you're going to have supper and everything's going to be okay. No, it won't be. Right, right. It won't be. Mm-hmm. And so that's why uh, I was, you know, I, I I helped him and that, but I was not his coach, and I, and because I couldn't do things as a dad that the coach could. Right. Uh, I watched I watched a practice where he got absolutely beat up, destroyed. Um, this coach was just, you know, I, I, t- I said afterwards, I said, Jason, if my wife was here, the police would have arrested you. Oh. You know, it Ooh. was that, because she wouldn't get it. Yeah. But I did, because when it was all done, he goes, Kalen, you, never, you will never face anything this tough, and you didn't quit. Mm-hmm. You know, that's all this was about. You got back up and you kept going. Yep. And so, and, and recognize that what you're capable of doing. And now that coach didn't need to do this for his own ego, and he didn't. It right. wasn't about his ego. He was going to, he didn't, and you can't tell the kid this is what you're going to do beforehand because they're not, then they're prepared. Right. They had to recognize he could do these things. And, that, and so as a coach, um, you're more important at times than the parent is. Mm-hmm. Because they will, uh, they'll listen to you, um, and I do. I still do. I can't, I'm 56 years old, and I can't go home and call my say, uh, Bob. It's Coach Brezowitz. I mean, at 56, I can't call him Bob <laughs> because it's that important to me. He yeah. was, you know, that's and that's that word coach right. is has carried such honor in my book yeah. if you use it the right way. Yeah. Yep, tremendous, honorific. Um, one of the things you were, you were talking about, um, rewinding a little back to 1977 in Las Vegas and this team from the Soviet Union coming into Vegas, um, I think that, that athletes and, and even coaches and parents stand to learn so much from travel. And even if that's just travel within you know the 50 United States or you know at the highest levels at international travel, and I'm wondering if you can just reflect back on your time competing and your time coaching and working for USA Wrestling. Um, were there any travel experiences that really stood out in your mind, and what was it about them that stood out to you? Well, there, there's one that, that leaps out, and that was in 1998, the uh, World Championships were going to be held in Tehran, Iran. And the United States, you know, because of, you know, the... Uh, 
uh, well, you know, the movie Fargo is mm-hmm. basically all about, you know, when, when the embassy was taken over, the United States had not had a trip to Iran, um, you know, since that 1980, 1980 mm-hmm. debacle. Yeah. And um, what, you know, what happened was we sat and we go, you know, we can't have the first trip to Iran be the world championships. We've got to get there before. And they had an international tournament in February. And there was a delegation of us that went to that trip. And we, when we landed at 2 in the morning, there was 200 media people. And um, we went into the venue, and it holds about 12,000 people. There were 15,000 people in there an hour before it started. Oh, my gosh. And making noise, and, and, and they're phenomenal fans. I mean, and they loved, uh, the, the people in Iran loved the United States. I've mm. been there five times, and, and in fact, was there just uh, two months ago. And uh, I-, I wish we could get past the 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 political things here, uh, but that trip being the first group, because when we got back, we were actually invited, and we went to the the Oval Office hmm. and met with President Clinton at the time, hmm. as as basically the idea of they were trying to open up relations with Iran, hmm. and we were the first real ambassadors to do that. So. It was bigger than wrestling. And, and even today, I mean, we just went back to Iran for the World Cup. Uh, and we now, you know, as people may be aware, is in February 12th, the, the International Olympic Committee, Executive Committee, voted to have wrestling removed as a core sport in the right. Olympic Games. Yeah. And we are now working with, in fact, uh, in two weeks, in Grand Central Station, there will be a match, uh, United States versus Iran in Grand Central Station in New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll also wrestle the Russians there as well. And I don't believe you can name one other thing where the Russians, the Iranians, and the Americans have worked together in a single cause. That's fantastic. Right. Talk about sports breaking down these international barriers. That's fantastic. Yep, and it was, uh, I have a good friend of mine, in fact, my son's middle name is named after him, who's a congressman right now in Ohio, and, and Jim Jordan, who was a two-time NCAA wrestling champion. And he said it was last month, uh, uh, the speaker, uh, the former speaker of the House, Dennis Hastert, who was a high school wrestling coach, uh, met or contacted Jim and said, hey, the Mongolian delegation is coming in uh, to talk about uh, trade, you need to be there. Hmm. And so Jim said he went into there, and after after about two minutes of introductions and and uh, the niceties, the whole talk went to wrestling. Oh wow! You know, and and that's why it, it's it's been a worldwide. It's been unbelievable. It's it's a difficult thing we're going through, but uh, this is something that's transcended sports. When governments are now, you know. Um, you know, speaking up to the IOC and trying them to get to understand that they made a huge mistake. Yeah. And, and it's up to us to, to let them know that. But that all came, I mean, when you're, the things that have been the most memorable to me have, none of them have been on the mat, hmm. you know, and, and have been, you know, part of the, the experience. And that, 
And I just wish the travel is, is absolutely one of the great things about sports. Yeah. It doesn't have to be wrestling. It's got to be, but the travel and the experience of that, whether it be, you know, representing your state in another state or you're, you're you know, being in a, you know, uh, being the Colorado, one of the Colorado girls softball teams and you're, you're playing in Atlanta. In yep. A champion, yep. I mean, these are experiences that we will love, but, but I just wish that, uh, that, so everybody could take one trip where we go because you know wrestling is not big in Western Europe; it's big in Eastern Europe. So um, you know when I competed, you know, you know I was in uh, you know Grozny, Russia, and Tashkent, which is just above uh, uh, Afghanistan, in in Uzbekistan, and, and and we've been to these cities in Krasnoyarsk, which is in Siberia, and you would learn quickly to appreciate what we have in this country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I wanted to um, talk to you a little bit more just about what USA Wrestling and the international community is doing um, to get wrestling back as a core sport in the Olympics. I know I, for one, um, I just can't imagine the Olympics without uh, wrestling. And so could you just tell us a little bit more sort of about your approach and, and what we might see um, in that area? Yeah, and before I do that, I, I, I really encourage people is that our website, themat.com, mm-hmm. you can go to that, and uh, in a, on that homepage, you can get to our Facebook page. I always tell people I'm, I'm not technologically savvy, but that's an easy way you know, to get so that you got the Facebook. Mm-hmm. And we have got a timeline. We've got updates on what, what's happening around the world. Okay. But um, you, you know, first of all, we had to recognize we had a lot of fault in this. Was, mm. And what I mean, we is our international federation. Uh, mm. uh, and in the end, I believe we're going to be in the Olympics, mm-hmm. and it will be the best thing that ever happened to our sport because we're we are able to clean up our international federation. And mm. it's mm. hard to do it. Is it uh, you know one thing that you learn is you never uh, let a crisis go unused. Nice. Yep. And in yep. this case, it allowed us to get rid of the president of our international federation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to have a, a meeting in, a, in, in three weeks that, that will approve the new one. Mm-hmm. We're going to change rules. The reality is nobody, he, he, the guy that ran it had complete control. Uh, and without going into it very far, it's very hard to, to move somebody out of that in the international world. Mm-hmm. And when you try or want to try, you have to be very careful because you don't want to hurt your own teams right. on, on, on having it come back to, you know, having, having them come back to hurt your guys as far as, you know, cheating them with, you know, in the, on the mat. And uh, the wrestling community is stepping up. We, you know, we have to raise at least a couple million dollars mm-hmm. to do this effort um, with all the things that have to be done, the travel, the commitments. But, uh um, I, I look at it this way, and, and, uh, and maybe a good way to close with this thing is that I had two days afterwards um, had somebody come in my office, and they go, "Well, man, aren't you worried about your job? Could you, you know, could you lose your job if you're not in the Olympics?" And I hmm. go, um, "I haven't thought one second about that, nor am I concerned." I say, "Because right. um, this is not who I am; it's what I do. I can, if I lost my job." I can do something else. Right. Said, but if if I was 16 years old at this time, now you're taking away my dream. Right. And I can't get another dream. 
Right. This is what it is. And we had an eight-year-old girl uh, we, that was the wrestler of the year of her club, and she became friends with one of our female world champions here, and Adeline Gray and Facebook. And she, hmm. uh, you know, she's committed to wrestling. She, I want to train at the Olympic Training Center someday. And, and, um, and so what we did was her parents came out with her, and we, we paid for her to stay at the training center for two days, and the girls on the team took care of her, and hmm. the parents were there. And they interviewed this young lady, and at eight years old, she said, she talked about the Olympics, and she says, you know, I'm leaving it up for, to these guys to get this fixed <laughs> because it's the only dream I have. Oh, wow. 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 Um, I, I definitely encourage our responsible sports audience to go check out your Facebook page and follow this. And um, Mitch, clearly you and I could go on for a couple hours here, but um, I want to thank you so much for taking all this time today to share with me and all of our responsible sports listeners. Um, I really think your your stories and your insights and just your reflections are going to help so many parents and coaches and student athletes, um, not just wrestlers, but beyond. And um, thank you for just your tremendous commitment to wrestling and to uh, to youth sports. Uh, yeah, just your real real blessing on the sport. Well, again, I appreciate that, but um, I have just such a passion for what we can do to for society and what coaches can can do to as actually the lead people in this country yep. change it. Yep. To learn more about responsible sports, visit responsiblesports.com. You'll find valuable responsible sport parenting and responsible coaching guides, downloadable tools and worksheets, and helpful advice from leading youth sports experts. Music for this podcast has been generously provided by APM Music.